Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Guys, the most famous and actually poorest foundation in the world, if you will, is something known as the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Now, some people say Pisa, some people say Pisa, some people say pizza, I don't know. But it's nonetheless, it's in Italy, it's the Leaning Tower of Pisa, right? And this tower, if you will, began to sink uh, after the construction began, and they got to about the third floor. Now, remember, this was about uh, 1178 when they started to build it. They got to about the third floor. This is a 179-foot tower, so picture a very big tower. And all of a sudden, as they're building it, it starts to lean a little bit. And they're going, what? And and again, so again, think about this. Scientists got together, and they said, okay, you know what they've come up with? They've come up with the 749-foot tower moves about 120th of an inch every year. Every year. The problem is, is it threatens a restaurant, like it's leaning over a restaurant, that the scientists used to gather to go, how are we going to stop this from leaning? If it's moving every year, guess what's going to happen? Eventually, it's going to topple over and kill who's ever in the restaurant. And so there they are, they gather together and they go, okay, so what do we need to do? Well, something very interesting about the word Pisa, okay? The Leaning Tower of Pisa, it actually means marshy land, okay? Marshy is just kind of the, as made of sand and water. And, and so it's like, okay, so they named it after some very, well, not, not so hard land. And it kind of gives us a clue, guys, how, why the tower began uh, to lean even before it was completed, now, another thing I found very interesting about this is the fact that, now check this out, okay, that the Leaning Tower of Pisa, its foundation is only 10 feet deep. So here they're going to build a 179-foot tower. Guys, the walls here are about 11 feet deep, so they didn't go very deep to make sure that this tower stood very well. Well, it wasn't until 2008, guys, that uh, they came in and they started to remove what they call about 70 metric tons, okay, a lot of earth. And what they did is they announced that the tower had been stabilized such that it stopped moving for the first time in history. So every year it moved a little, and then in 2008 they got it to stop, and they said, okay, we've got it stabilized, and it's probably be like this for the next 200 years. And you go, well, how did they stabilize it? Okay, first and foremost, guys, they did this because they went down below and they strengthened the foundation. They strengthened the foundation. And you go, well, Ben, what does the story have to do with 1 Corinthians 15? Here's why. Listen, I tell you this story because I simply want to illustrate what Paul is trying to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul's going to do. So in order for us to fully understand the gospel so that it penetrates our mind, everybody look, our mind, and in our heart, we have to know what it means. We can't just go, hey, man, God loves you. Here's the good news. It's not going to do anything. We're like, yeah, it's good news. But, but here, here's the point, guys. The gospel has to change us. It has to change us from the inside out. And Paul wants to, he wants to say, okay, now maybe our foundation is like the leaning tower for a little bit. Maybe it's not real solid. He goes, no, 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 I need to come back and I need to strengthen your foundation so that your life can move forward so it doesn't fall. So it doesn't fall. This is what Paul's going to do. As a matter of fact, Jesus, guys, our Jesus speaks kind of the same thing in Matthew chapter 7. 
In Matthew chapter 7, as Jesus is speaking, notice what he says. He tells the listeners, he says this, listen, whoever hears my teaching and does them is like the wise man who built his house on the solid foundation. Okay? He calls it a rock. He calls it a rock. He says, now listen, if you hear my teachings and you do them, you are a wise man, and you're a wise man, you built your life, you built your house on the solid rock. Right? And you go, well, what, 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 what's the purpose? Well, he goes on to say, and he says, and when the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on the house, it says, it did not fall for its foundation. It was founded on the rock. And then Jesus goes on to say this. He says, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Foundation is the key. So the foundation of the gospel has to be essential for our lives. You go, what's the gospel? Well, the fact is, is that Jesus rose from the grave, he is alive, and he now sits on the right hand of God the Father. So Paul begins laying the foundation, the fact of the gospel. So as I was studying this week, I started to think, well, why would Paul take an entire chapter to deal with this? To He's taking an entire chapter to teach us on the resurrection of Jesus. Why would he do that? I'll tell you why. Remember, Corinth was a mess, okay? And I'm going to tell you why the, the five things that they were struggling with, but Corinth's a mess. It was a messy church. Now, listen, we can relate, right? Because we're all a mess too, okay? We really are a bunch of misfits. And, and, and here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. Think about this. In Corinth, there were so-called believers that did not believe, guys, that Jesus had actually rose from the grave. That's what was going on, okay? He gets a letter. He goes, hey, listen, I know you established this church. I know what you're doing. He says, but here's the problem. The problem was there's some people that don't believe that Jesus rose from the grave. And you're going, yeah, Corinth was a mess. No, but check this out. Check this out. This is going to blow your mind. You go, why? Because I started to do some research and I said, really? Okay, so if that's what's going on in Corinth, what's going on here? Well, check it out, guys. Check it out. Today, Americans, how many people really believe in the res- resurrection of Jesus Christ? Statistically, so I pulled it up. Would you believe only 64% of Americans believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Only 64. Uh, it, it, the article goes on to say, most Americans still believe that Jesus rose from the dead. According to a new Ramison Reports poll, the National Telephone Survey found that 64% of American adults believe Jesus rose from the dead, while 19% reject the central Christian tenet of the resurrection. That's going on today. You go, Pastor, I'm not sure what you mean. Check it out. Listen. Listen, guys, this blows my mind. Out of 100 Christians... American church-going Christians, 64 of them go, yes, I believe Jesus rose from the dead, right? That's essential to our faith. But what blows me away is not the 64%, guys, but the 36 that said no. 36 of them going, no, no, I don't think so. I'm not sure, Uh uh-uh, no. And then 19 of those 36 are going, no way Jesus rose from the grave. 
That's going on today. And so I believe that that Paul, under the power of the Holy Spirit, begins to write to the church at Corinth. The Holy Spirit goes, no, no, I need to write to everyone because that's going to be a problem in the future. People aren't going to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. So what's going on in Corinth? What's happening? Well, guys, let me remind you what we talked about, okay? So Paul, in context, is dealing, guys, with five major issues in the church. We've covered four of them so far, but here they are once again, okay? Number one, in chapters one through four, Paul deals with divisions. That's what's going on first and foremost. There was divisions in the church. One person's like, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Peter, and I'm of this, and I'm, I like this pastor. I like, your pastor's horrible. He doesn't even teach. He's not even funny. Are you kidding me? Come to my church. And that's what they were doing, and they were dividing the body of Christ. And Paul says, no, the centrality, guys, is not this pastor, this church, this denomination, it's Jesus. That's what Paul tells them. And he says, oh, by the way, the second part, the, the other one is found in what? In chapters 5 through 7. You go, what is that? Another problem is, guys, is related to sex. No, we don't have a problem today. He says, related to sex, singleness, and marriage. And Paul says, man, I need to address that. And then the third is, guys, he, in chapters 8 through 10, the issue was food, more like Food sacrifice to idols. Hey, listen, after, after service today, we're all going to go eat. Yeah, but what food is it? Was it, was it, was it steak that was offered to idols? And so Paul deals with all of this. And then last week, guys, in the few weeks before that, in chapters 11 to 14, Paul addresses some problems in their weekly worship gatherings as they were gathering to church, right? It was some crazy stuff going on. It's some crazy stuff. Like one of the craziest things that blows my mind in church was the fact that there are people coming in drunk to church and having communion, drunk. And I was like, Paul says, no, no, we got to deal with that. And, and Paul's dealt with them all, it's just amazingly. But now he's going to deal with the final, the final problem. And you go, what's that? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You see, the problem he's going to address, I'm actually going to take you forward till next week, guys. In verse 12 of chapter 15, Paul says, now... If Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, so we know that Paul is preaching that what? That Christ is raised. He says, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? How is he saying? How are you guys? Why are you? I'm, 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 I'm kind of confused. Paul's saying, listen, we preached that Jesus rose from the dead. And now you're going, nah, nah, I don't think so. I don't think so. That's the problem. That's the problem he's going to deal with. Now, Listen, because we are a teaching church, you guys understand that, okay? You go, what's the difference? Well, there's preachers that come and they'll preach and they'll preach and they'll preach. Amen. But we're a teaching church. I need to give you the mindset of what was going on there. For you to fully understand why Paul would write this letter to these people, I have to give you the mindset. You go, Ben, what was the mindset? Okay. Remember that Paul is dealing with Gentiles in, with a Greek background, and as he deals with them, guys, none of the converts at Corinth let them, let them believe of anything called the resurrection from the dead. They had no idea. They had no concept. Now, here's what they did have. This is the mindset coming in, okay? In general, they believed in what they would call the immortality of the soul. They believed your soul lived forever, but they realized it was trapped inside the body, Okay, so now they get saved. Now they get saved, but they say, there's no way I'm going to believe in a bodily resurrection. Now you have to say why. Everybody say why. Okay, let's try this again because I've only heard one person. Everybody say why. Why? 
There you go. Because I want, because inquiring minds want to know, right? And you guys are great inquirers. So, anyways, here's the thing. You go, why, why, why would they, why would they feel that way? Here's why. Because here's what they were taught. Here's their culture. Here's their belief. Okay, the, the 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 church at Corinth before getting saved, guys, they thought, okay, the body was the source of man's weakness and sin. So they embraced death to free the soul from the body. They knew, they believed in immortality of the soul. So what happened is they go, man, I can't wait for, I can't wait to die because then my soul will be set free. And then so Paul goes, hey, what about the resurrection from the dead? The bodily resurrection. They're like, no! Why? Because they believed that if they were resurrected bodily, guess what would happen? They would be enslaved to basically sin once again. Because the body, guys, would only serve to enslave the soul. You're like, wow. Okay, you guys understand. That's, you need to track with me because you need to understand that's exactly why they're coming in. Okay, at sometimes we read the scripture and we go, man, those guys are, those people, those church are weird. Why didn't they just believe? Listen, they're coming in with culture. They're coming in with background. They're coming in with thoughts that they've been taught since they were little. And they're going, listen, I don't want a bodily resurrection because I don't want my body to be raised from the dead to be subject to this again. Once I'm free, I want to be set free. And Paul's like, okay, you understand that? So what does he do? He says, okay, so here's what we got to do. We've got to to fully understand all of what Paul writes. We have to do some work up front. You go, what's that? We have to get the mindset that we are to build the gospel house. And every house is going to stand, right? It needs to have a solid and a strong foundation foundation. Let me illustrate it this way. In West Texas, we have several times, we have several high winds, 70, 80 miles an hour, okay? But here's the thing. This church doesn't blow over because it's been given a good foundation. It's got a foundation of concrete, and then the concrete concrete goes down pretty deep, and then you have some walls, and then we've got a roof, and we're good, right? That's how we do. You go, yeah, the winds come and, and all that good stuff. Well, guys, think about it, okay? Think about it, okay? So what we need to do in order for our lives to be moving forward so that we have growth, we have to make sure that we understand the gospel message and that we have the solid foundation. Because if you don't have the solid foundation, Jesus said, that's where you're going to fall, and great was its fall. Okay, you're looking at me like you don't understand. Let me see if I can explain it this way. How many of us know somebody who said, man, they were fired up five years ago. They were on fire for Jesus. Man, you couldn't keep them out of the Bible. And now they're, they don't even look, they don't even act like a Christian. And you go, what happened? What happened to them? Guys, the foundation maybe was cracked a little bit. Maybe they didn't get a good, maybe they built on something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. You go, oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, I know, I mean, know somebody. I know somebody. So we have to come back and we have to go, okay, okay, Paul's going to say, let me remind you of the gospel. Let me get it in your hearts again. Let me stir up that, that gospel. Let me lay the foundation. You go, okay, Ben, you keep saying gospel. What does gospel mean? Well, in its simplistic form, it means good news. Okay, that's what it means. And we go, hey, I've got good news, right? And Paul begins to tell us, guys, when I first came to Corinth, here's what I did. He says, I preached to you the good news, the good news. 
As a matter of fact, if you're taking note, just make a mental note or you can jot this down because in Acts chapter 18 is when Paul came to Corinth. But I want to show you a pattern of something that happened very interesting. You go, what's that? In Acts chapter 18, verse 1, he says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Okay, here's where Paul's going to start the church. In verse 4, it says, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. So what did Paul do? He comes in, first and foremost, he goes to the Jewish people in the synagogues. Okay, he comes in, he says, man, the Jews first, let's go. And he starts to preach the gospel. He starts to preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Okay, that's what's going on in Corinth. But in verse 6, it says, but when they opposed him, And blasphemed, he shook his garments and said, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. So he leaves the synagogue and he says, man, I'm going to take it to the world. What's he taking? The gospel. The gospel. And then it says this in verse 11. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Hey, let me give you some truth, okay? Let me give you some truth. If you want a solid Christian life, you got to do two things. We see it in scripture. You go, what's that? Number one, preach the gospel. Tell people the good news. Can I get an amen? The second thing is teach the Bible, teach the word of God. Okay? Those go hand in hand, right? A lot of people, they stay focused on just the good news, the good news, the good news, and other people come over here and they go, we teach, we teach, we teach. But a good balance is that we preach the gospel and we teach the Bible. We preach the gospel. You go, what does that mean? What that means for us guys really is that if you have unloved ones who are just not, who, who basically are, are not saved, bring them to church. Why? Because we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to give an invitation. We're going to tell them about Jesus. But once they get saved, they need to be fed. And so now we're going to teach them. Listen, this is key. We're going to teach them the Bible. Why? We're not going to teach my opinion. We're not going to teach, hey, this is, we're going to teach word for word, verse by verse, so that you get a good solid foundation. So when the winds come and they will come, when the storms come and they will come, you won't be blown to and fro with every wind of doctrine. You'll stay focused on the word of God. This is what Paul is saying. Okay, so he did that. So Paul comes into Corinth. He preaches the gospel of Jesus. What's he preaching? The death, the burial, the resurrection. This was good news to the people at Corinth. And the gospel still has the power today. As a matter of fact, Paul writing to the Romans in chapter 1, verse 16, says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why, Paul? It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. Paul says, listen, that is amazing. Listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to tell you. Yeah, but people go, listen, even today, isn't it crazy? It's the power of God to save, but you'll go and you'll try to witness to somebody and you'll say, listen, I want to tell you about Jesus. And what's the first thing they say? I go to church. I go here. I go to church. All right, and, and it's like, come on, I'm not asking you if you go to church. I want to tell you the good news. It's the power to to set you free. Because if we're honest, guys, let's take a moment to think. We live in a fractured world, don't we? We lived where people are hurting and broken. Guys, we lived where they're emotionally messed up. We live in a place where, where our teenagers are contemplating suicide. We're living in a, in a world where, where, where we're depressed and we have anxiety. But the gospel 
saves them and the gospel changes them and the gospel heals them. That's what Jesus did. And that's what Paul comes in. Now, before we jump into our text, guys, I I need to remind you, when Christians refer to the gospel, they're referring to good news. And Jesus Christ, that good news is Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for our sins so that we might become children of God through faith alone in Christ alone. Now, listen to this. Here's what I want you to get, okay? I want you to get this. A great pastor by the name of Thomas Watson once said, Till sin be bitter... Christ will not be sweet. Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Here's what he means by that. Until you and I truly understand the problem, we won't savor the solution. You go, Pastor, I'm not sure what you're saying. Okay, here it is. In order for news to be good news, you know what it has to do? It has to invade very dark, very uh, very bad places. It has to come in, right? Because we often give news to a lot of people. Hey, guess what? There's a sale over at Kohl's. Hey, guess what? Grapes are five for a buck, whatever it might be. And you go, hey, that's great news. No, no, no. Great news has to go in and go, man, I'm starving to death, and this place is giving free food. That's good news, okay? Because it's a very dark, very un- un- unfamiliar place, and yo, okay, I'm, I'm, it brings salvation. So with sin... This is what it does. For it to be gospel, for it to be good news, it has to go in and it starts to invade the very dark place. You go, where do we get dark places? Well, guys, if you recall, man, the very dark place happened, right, way back in Genesis chapter 3. Guys, when sin entered. Now, you and I, we read that and sometimes we read it and we're just like, yeah, okay, great. But here's how we read it, right? There was Adam and Eve and they were having a great time and this was so beyond our thinking because it was so so long ago. But there's Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve go and, and Eve goes up to the tree and she picks a fruit and the snake says, Hey, wanna eat that? And Adam's chasing butterflies over here. I'm not sure what he's doing. But nonetheless, they they sin through disobedience and rebellion, and it fractures everything. But what we don't understand is it fractures us as well. It fractured our lives. And see, we're born into sin. And that's a very dark place. See, we weren't, guys, the Bible says that we, we weren't reconciled. We're in a very dark place. And then somebody tells you, hey, I know your life's a mess, man. I know that this is going on. I know this is happening. I know that you've mentioned some hurt and some emotional baggage and something like that. But can I tell you, I've got some good news for you. Really, what is it? Listen, you know those dark places that nobody goes to? Yeah. You know those dark places that you you protect real well? Yeah. You know what? Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, can come in here and he can heal that. And you don't have to turn to alcohol. You don't have to turn to drugs. You don't have to turn to food. Jesus can come and heal that. Really? Really? Yeah. See, it's the power of God for salvation, but it's also the power of God to heal us and to, and to help us walk and to give us peace and comfort and joy. It all, it's all in there. And so, in order for news to be good, it has to invade the bad spaces in our heart. And so here it comes in. And, and so he comes in with the, with the what? With the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to this quote. Listen to this quote. This is the gospel, okay? The vilest offender who truly believes, that would be me, 
that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. The moment we believe, man, we're set free. We're set free. So why is this important? Here it is, guys. Because Paul is going to lay the foundation, okay, with the most basic ingredients of the gospel message. You go, what's that? Here's the basic ingredients. The death, the burial, the resurrection, and the appearances of Jesus Christ. This is what he's going to do. This is where he's going to lay it, okay? So we're building a gospel house. Everybody with me? Okay, so we're going to have to do some, we have to do some work. Okay, the first thing we got to do whenever we build a foundation, remember, we got to clear a path. You can't just, you can't just, right? You can't just put concrete anywhere. You've got you've to build it. Okay, so here's what we do. We build it. There we go. So now we got to do some work. Okay, we're going to put some, we're going to put some concrete, and we're going to make some studs, and we're going to fill it in real nice, and then guess what we're going to do? We're going to mix it, and then we're going to trowel it. It's going to be a beautiful, solid foundation. And then we're going to let it dry, right? Because after we dry, then we got to put some walls. But right now, we're not going to build about the walls because we have to do foundation first. This is what Paul's going to do. You ready? Verse 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Okay? So what does Paul do? Okay, here's what he's doing. Guys, he's starting to move some debris out of the way. We've got to build a foundation. Okay, so we need some things out of our heart. There might be some branches. There might be some rocks. There might be some beliefs. There might be some culture. There might be some upbringing. Paul says, okay, let me, let me scoop that away because I've got to tell you something. You go, what's that? He goes, here's what it is, okay? He says, by the way, guys, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the gospel. For a whole year and a half, I've been with you and I've preached the gospel and you guys were rah, rah, let's go, Paul. He says, but some of you seem to forgot, so let me remind you. Let me remind you. And I love that he says brothers and sisters because he's not like, you guys are a bunch of, come on. I was here for a whole year and a half and you didn't get it. Give me a break. No, no. He comes in and he's like, hey, okay. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. So what does Paul say? Okay, Paul says, here's the gospel. He says, I tell you the truth. What is it? He says, the first thing I did is I preached it to you. I preached it. And you go, yeah, Paul preached. No, no, no. He's saying, listen, I preached the good news and it was invading dark spaces because I want you to remember Corinth. Okay, Corinth was a mess. Guys, it was a mess. There was some darkness all around you. There was some prostitution. There was, there was just all kinds of stuff going on that was a mess. And Paul says, man, I came with the gospel. And guys, do you remember what you did with it? You go, what's that, pastor? He says, you received it. And that word received it there means to welcome it, to receive it, to accept it. You guys didn't reject it. You weren't like, nah, I don't believe that. You're like, yes. Are you serious? You're telling me that Jesus can heal my broken heart? You're telling me that he can restore my marriage? You're telling me that I can get off? I mean, all of these things, this is what he says. You've received it. He says, in which you stand, and that means to continue firmly. Guys, this is where you were established. And he goes, and by the way, that is why you're saved, which, is, which also you are saved, to save those who believed. He goes, you guys remember that? You, I preached it, you received it, you stand, we're saved by it. Now he goes, if, what? If you continue to believe the message of the gospel, the word there, guys, if you have a pencil handy, says if you hold fast, that means to continue to believe, to keep in memory, to keep in memory. We got to be always be reminded, okay, this is why I believe. This is why I believe. He says, unless, what, pastor? Unless, he goes, unless you believed in vain. He goes, what do you mean by that? He's going, unless, of course, you guys believe something that was never true in the first place. That's, that's believing in vain. Church, do you see how the foundation works? 
got to get all of this in our heart because the gospel is designed to do something so beautiful. It's designed to go on the inside, start to transform us and change us from the inside out. This is what progressive sanctification means. It means you're like Jesus every single day, but it starts from the inside out. Okay, and so a little bit more, you're like Jesus, and a little bit more, you're like Jesus, and a little bit more, and that's what the gospel, the gospel is designed to change the way you think. I don't care how you were brought up, it's going to change how you think. It's going to change how you behave. It's going to change how you look at life. It's going to change how you look at other people. It's going to change you. At one point, you may go, man, I don't want to serve nobody. Now you're going, man, I, I, like, I, I just want to serve people. I think, man, nobody's, who's going to help me? And you're going, now I want to help people. Who's going to give me a pay it forward? Now you're going, man, I pay it forward. The gospel will do that for you. But you got to catch this. It's from the inside out. That's what Paul is saying. He's laying that foundation. Okay? You go, okay, so, so help me, pastor. How do we build the house? Well, what's the first thing we need, guys? We need some concrete, okay? So we moved away some stuff. Notice verse 3. He says, For I delivered to you all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, here's what Paul says. Okay. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received. You go, what's he saying? Here's what Paul's saying. Paul says, listen, man, I'm just a messenger, I'm just a messenger. I am telling, I'm only telling you what Jesus told me, okay? I'm telling you. Listen, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not, I don't have an angle here. I'm just a messenger, but you need to listen to the message. You need to grab the message. And you go, what's the message? He says, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, he said, died according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, I don't know if you see anything, a pattern here, but Paul keeps using the word according to the scriptures. Now, let me have your attention. Here's what we do. When we read it, we have the scriptures. We have the canon of scriptures. We have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. So to you and I, we go, yeah, Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures. Now, we can go to the New Testament and find all the places that it was taught that Jesus was dying for our sins. Amen? But when Paul wrote this, there wasn't a New Testament. So he was literally referring to the Old Testament. He's going, listen, the Old Testament scriptures kept telling us that Jesus was going to die for our sins. He was going to be buried and he was going to resurrect. Now, it bothers me when pastors go, well, we don't teach the Old Testament because that's Old Covenant. Listen, that is Jesus all the way to the cross. And the New Testament is all of Jesus back to the cross. It's the gospel. How so? Think about this. Think about this. From early on in Genesis chapter 3 all the way, what do we see? We see the gospel message. We see the gospel in all of that. One of the very earliest forms of the gospel is, is what? Abraham and Isaac. Do you guys remember that? Abraham, yes, sir. Abraham, yes, sir. I want you to take your son, your only son, up to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice them. Yes, sir. So here he goes. Do you guys remember? Dad? Yes, son. 
Where are we going? Oh, don't worry, son. We got this covered. We're going we're gonna to go worship. He tells, us, he tells us, his servants, hey, the boy and I are going to go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Dude, you were told to kill him. How do, what do you mean we're going to come back? But anyway, they go up there, right? And what does he do? He takes the knife, and he, he bundles his kid up, right? He puts him on the offering. He's getting ready, and he's like, Abraham, yes, sir, don't hurt the boy. For I know you believe me. That was the very first inkling of the gospel. Why? Because both Abraham and Isaac came back off the mountain. Wow. Wow. And then Isaiah, Isaiah writes of the 700, 700 years before it happens. Isaiah says, listen, and, and he's talking about Jesus. And he says, and he was wounded for our transgressions, chapter 53, bruised for our inequities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Guess what? And by his stripes, we're healed. He's talking about Jesus, 700 years. Exactly. Do you guys remember? Do you guys remember what happened? They took my Jesus. And they tied him, and with a cat of nine tails, they whipped him 39 times. And a cat of nine tails, guys, is, is bone, and it's, and it's glass, and it's rock, and it literally ripped and shredded him by his stripes. They took my Jesus, and they put him inside a cave. To sit out. When go to Israel, guys, in February, you'll see the place and you'll see the hole where they drop Jesus down. It all pointed. The Old Testament, guys, Isaiah, Psalm chapter 16, Psalm 68, Psalm 110. Guys, it says, Paul says, according to the scriptures. He says, now I want you to remember that. Now, it's almost like somebody in the crowd was like, Paul, you, you preach a good message, but I need evidence. I need evidence. I need to know that Jesus is alive. I mean, you're telling me he, rose, he resurrected bodily. I need some evidence. And Paul's anticipating that because notice how he answers it in, moving forward in verse 5. He says, so that he was seen by Cephas and then the 12. Now, the common uh, principle of the day was that with two or three witnesses, everything should be established. So all it took was two or three witnesses to make the matter established. Paul goes, listen, you want, you want evidence? Guess what? The first person that saw Jesus when he resurrected was Peter. I love that, guys. Why? Because I want you to think, who was, what, did Peter, what, what did Peter do? Peter had just denied him three times. Cursing. I don't know the man. I don't know him. And then he runs and gets out. And, and, and then all of a sudden, Jesus dies on the cross. Peter's scared. Guess who the first person that Jesus comes to? Hey, Pete. Right? He's just like, how you doing? I didn't mean to. I promise. You know, he's just, I mean, that's how he would be. But I love that he restores Peter. If you don't see the love of Jesus with that. He goes, oh, and by the way, then he, then he, he showed himself to the twelve. To the twelve, and I bet these these people. Don't you think that? Wouldn't you be freaked out? You saw Jesus die. He's on the cross. Boom. He's dead. And you're like, man. Three days later, he's in the midst, going, "Hey, guy, what's up? Is that Jesus? Hey, Jesus. Is that a ghost? A spirit? Really? Right? 
Wouldn't, come on, you guys are looking at me like, come on. No, we would be freaked out. We'd be like, um, Alex, go touch him. See if he's all right, man. No, you go, Ben. No, dude, just go. Right? And then so Alex is walking, and I trip him and push him into Jesus. Yeah, well, we would be freaked out. But he says, no, no, no. Listen, here's what he's saying. Listen, he was seen. And he says, after that, check this out. He was seen by 500 brethren at once. Okay, so, so you need to understand, okay? You need to understand. Jesus doesn't have the body the, the, the Greek Gentiles think. He has a glorified body, and he, was, and he shows himself to what? To over 500 people at once. How does he do that? I don't know, but it would be trippy, wouldn't it? So Liz over here, Liz is like, yeah, man, you know what? Guess what? I saw Jesus yesterday at 1230 in Amarillo. I said, no, you didn't, Liz. He wasn't in Amarillo because he was here at Calvary Chapel at 1230. And Liz is like, no, I saw him. I saw him. And then Leon's like, no, 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 he wasn't. He was at the park because I went for a walk and I met up with him. It was so cool. And he had his glorified body. Wouldn't that be awesome? Says he saw that 500 people. 500 people at once. How many, how many does it take? It takes two or three witnesses to establish a matter. Paul says 500 people saw him. 500 people. Josh saw him. Jesse saw him. Amanda saw him. Right? All these people saw him at one time. He says, and oh, by the way, uh, of whom the greater part remain to the present, he says, but some have fallen asleep. Can you imagine? He said, oh, by the way, uh, well, well let's, let's move on, right? Because, because here's what he's saying. He says, after that, guess what? He was seen by James, and he's seen by the apostles, okay? So everybody's seen him. And then lastly, I saw him, uh, but I was one born out of due time. He says, for I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church. And I love this. Why? Because P- Paul presents undeniable evidence, guys. He says, 500 people saw him at once. Now, think about this, right? Can you imagine? He says, now, some of them have died, but most of them, most of them haven't. If you want to give them a call, <laughs> can you imagine? Could you imagine? Oh, okay. He said, some of the people who saw him died, but some haven't. Why don't you give him a call? Oh, okay, I'm going to. I, I, you know, you're like, hello. Hey, Larry. Hey, it's Ben. How's it going, buddy? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Paul's over here in Corinth. Yeah. Uh-huh. Hey, Larry, are you there? Larry, okay, yeah, Larry, okay, uh-huh. Hey, Larry, did you see Jesus? You did. L- like the resurrected body, uh-huh. Are you sure? You touched him. What? You saw, you saw the scars on his hand and on his feet? Larry, Larry, tell the truth, man. We've been friends a long time. Come on, man. You did. Wow. He was alive. Okay. All right, man. Thanks. Can you imagine? That's a, You see, that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, listen, there were some people who saw him. Ask him. Some of them, some of them had died, but for the majority, they saw him. They saw him. Guys, this is, this is super cool. And he goes, and, oh, by the way, lastly, I saw him. Well, when did you see him, Paul? On the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9. What happened? Man, I, I've seen the risen Lord. I saw him, man. He talked to me. I, I, I really don't dig our conversation because he's like, Paul, Paul, why are you, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who are you? And we had this huge dialogue, but nonetheless, now I'm saved. 
He says, but you know what? I feel like I'm the least of the apostles, not because I, I wanna, I'm so humble. He says, but because I persecuted the church. I persecuted the church. You guys realize that Paul's thinking, Stephen's in heaven, and I, get, and I consented to him dying. And now I'm saved. And I said, what, what? Can you imagine Stephen up there going, come on, Paul, well, I can't wait till you get up here. We got some talking to do, buddy. He says, I persecuted the church. I drug, I drug people off to prison who claim to be Christians. I, I took babies. I took babies away from families because you claim to be a Christian. I sat there and I watched people die because I wanted, I'm the least of the apostles. See, Paul's not prideful at all. He's going, man, you know what? You don't understand. My heart is broken because I did that. My heart is broken. And I love verse 10. Notice what he says. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me is not in vain. And I labored more abundantly than all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which is, which is in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Oh, I love Paul. Why? Because here's what I want you to get. You got to grab. You got to grab this truth, guys. You got to grab this truth. What Paul says. Paul says, "I persecuted the church. I'm really. I'm. I'm. I'm the least of the apostles." He says, "But I am what I am by the grace of God." Here's what he's saying: The past doesn't define me. He says, it's not going to, it's not going to make me, I, I, that's who I was. That's not who I am today. I am what I am, but by God's grace, he says, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Guys, here's what we need to do. Don't let the enemy grab you and hold you by your past, the past mistakes, the things you did, the choices you made. That's gone. You are what you are today because of Jesus. The second thing you need to understand, guys, is Paul says, listen, the personality that I had before I got saved is the same personality I have now, only I serve Jesus even more. I worked harder than all the apostles. But that's Paul's personality. And here's what I love. I love the fact that when Jesus saves you, he doesn't necessarily change your personality. You still have the same personality. If you're boisterous and you're loud and you talk a lot, you do that for Jesus. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, you don't have to change. He says, listen, he says, man, listen, you guys don't understand. I labored more abundantly. And it wasn't that Paul goes, oh my gosh, I feel so bad. I persecuted the church. And maybe he did. But more importantly, I think Paul was just this kind of man. From the, We know he was, right? We know he was. Why? Because guys, think about this. Think about this. Before he got saved, he was, he was one of the top students in, in, in the rabbi schools. He was one of the top. They would ask him to preach. At a young age, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. I mean, this dude knew. And he took that same personality, the same zealousness. When he gets saved, he did that for Jesus. I think it's so cool with us. You go, why? Let me give you, okay? Let me illustrate it this way. Sometimes when uh, a young man like myself gets saved and and gets called into the ministry and, and wants to preach, one of the biggest dangers is you start looking at some of the bigger preachers and you go, oh, maybe I should, maybe I should preach like Billy Graham, okay? And so I get up here and say, those of you who are, you know, we start trying to act like Billy Graham and the Lord's like, no, 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 that's not who I called you to be. And you go, oh, okay, well, maybe I'm not a really good Billy Graham. Maybe I should be, uh, uh, who should I be? Who's a really, oh, maybe I should be a Charles Stanley or maybe I should be, and, and God says, no, 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 I called you and I'm going to use your personality because that's what I want. 
Let me use your personality. So, Lord, you just want me to be me up here? You just want me to, you want me to be silly, okay? Is that, is that, that's who you are. That's who you are. And I think it's so important, guys, that we understand that your personality is what God's going to use. Your personality. Some of you are quiet, reserved. It's okay. Some of you are loud, boisterous, outgoing, extrovert. Cool. Do it for the Lord. Do it for the Lord. Okay, guys, now we need to close our Bible study, but I want to close it with this illustration, okay? He's laid the foundation, but so what I did is I said, okay, Lord, we're talking about foundation. I know Paul's going to, he's going to lay the foundation. Could you help me? So I went on the internet and I typed in, what do I need for a foundation? How do I build a foundation? And it gave me four, five specific things that you need to do. I thought, cool, let me see. Okay, so if you ever want to build a foundation, here's what you do. The very first thing you do is you prepare the ground. Thank you, Mr. Internet. We prepare the ground. We need to clear the area of large stones, branches, and other disruptive objects, and then execute a space that's twice the depth for the final foundation. Did you get that? What did it say? I said, if I'm going to go put a foundation, I need to clear stuff out of the way. I need to get objects, questionable objects. I need to do rocks and branches and twigs. And, and then I need to dig twice the depth of my foundation. Isn't that what Paul told us? He tells us, he goes, guys, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news. What did the good news do? The good news swept away some of, the, some of our toxic thinking. The good news took away some branches in our lives. The good news dug up some areas that needed to be dug up and put away so that we can lay a good foundation. What did the gospel do? The gospel took us, God, with, with even some religious things, some religion that we had in our lives, and he uprooted it so that we could have room for the gospel. Why? Because... Because God wants us to have a relationship, not walk in religion. You go, cool. What's the second thing? Well, the second thing he says is now we've got to build a frame. We've got to build a frame. Okay? How big is our foundation? We've got to build a frame. So we've got to put some two-by-fours, right? This is what it says. Here's how we've got to build a frame. All right? Clear the area. Okay? And he says, now construct a wood form out of two-by-four lumber that encircles the excavated site according to your specific structure necessary dimensions. And I'm like, yay! What did Paul say? Paul said, here's, here's the frame we're going to build. I preached to you before. You welcomed it. You still stand firm in it. The good news that saves you, you continue to believe in the message I told you. Okay, there's our form. There's our form. Okay? It's dug, and there's our form because we need that to the specific dimensions. That's the gospel. Then Paul says, oh, and then, then the internet says, well, now the next thing you need is you need to mix the concrete. Oh, okay. He says, take a wheelbarrow, a bucket, fill it with what? The proper mixture of concrete and water. Keep a close eye on your consistency and adjust as needed. Well, what's our concrete? Well, Paul gives us, right? He says, I passed on to you what's most important that has been passed on to me. What's our concrete? Christ died for your sins. Throw that in there. He was buried. Okay, throw that in there. And that he was raised from the dead. Throw that in there. That's our concrete. Wow. So what happens? Well, we begin to mix that. That's our foundation. Oh, it's still not a foundation because now we need to what? Well, it tells us, the internet tells us the next thing we need to do is we need to pour the concrete. Begin pouring it into your foundation. Okay? Listen, if I'm 
mixing concrete in a wheelbarrow, you and I go to and I say, Alex, I, I have concrete. Alex is like, mm, I don't see it. Show me. It isn't until I begin to pour it that Alex goes, oh, you do have concrete. Same thing with Paul. What does he do? He says in 1 Corinthians 5.15, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. It was actual evidence. When we pour our concrete into a foundation, people see it. When we have the gospel in our heart as a foundation, people see it. You go, what's the last thing, guys? Finishing up. Right? You go, what's that? It says, take a trowel and do the finished work. Well, chapter or verses 6 through 11 is the finished work. Right? Because what Paul declares to you and I is that Jesus is alive. He is alive. Ben, I have a question. I have a question real quick. How do you know he's alive? You know how I know? Because I see it in every one of your faces. I see it in every. You know how I know Jesus is alive? Listen, I haven't seen him physically. I have not seen the resurrected Lord physically, but I know he's alive because he's, because, because he's in your face. He's in your heart. I can see it in every day that I fellowship with you. You're not the same. That's how I know. Because we can't change our own spots, can we? We can't change if we wanted to. It's only Jesus who changes us. So what happens next, Pastor? You ready? We have to let the concrete dry for a week. We have to let it dry for a week because then, because that's where we'll be next week, okay? So you have to come back next week. Our concrete will be dried. Liz, you have to drive back. Sorry. And uh, then we're going to build walls. We're going to build walls. Now we got concrete, okay? So now we're able to build walls on a solid foundation, and that's what Paul's going to do next week. So... Definitely don't want to miss that. Father, we thank you for your word today and the truth in your word. We love you. We are so blessed. We, we just thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.